Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Fast talk. Street talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid talk. Hot talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Well, 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 I wonder, don't you? I'm sure you. Um, There's quite a lot going on this morning. We're going to talk about Donald Trump. He was in a court of law yesterday in Manhattan. We're also going to talk about Peter Murrell, the husband uh, and partner of Nicholas Sturgeon, who's just been arrested by the police in Scotland uh, in relation to an investigation uh, into some missing money. We can't obviously say way too much about it at the moment because it is uh, a criminal procedure by the looks of it at the moment. Uh, We will decide through the course of the show and through the course of the day precisely what is going on up in Scotland with the SNP, uh, with the missing money uh, and with the police investigation. What we can tell you is that Nicola Sturgeon rather uh, remarkably quickly and suddenly resigned just a few weeks ago. And now here we have her husband arrested in connection with a financial investigation. Well, what are you supposed to think? We'll bring you out as we get more news on it and as we can. Uh, Coming up this morning as well, we're going to get an update from Peter Cardwell on what's going on north of the border. Also, Susan Hall is here, Chair of the Police and Crime Committee in London, uh, Assembly Member of the London Assembly and Leader of the Tories, of course. Uh, She's got plenty to say about Sadiq Khan. We're expecting a High Court decision soon over an injunction uh, which may be imminent over the ULES charges and the expansion of the ultra-low emission zone. It seems to me that politicians are now getting more mixed up with the law uh, than ever. So we've got Sadiq Khan being judged by a court of law. We've got Donald Trump being judged by a court of law. And we've got the uh, husband and former CEO, chief executive officer of the Scottish National Party, under investigation and having just been arrested by the police. It's a funny old world, isn't it? And we sit here, of course, not in judgment of these people, but just telling you how it actually is. Coming up uh, in the rest of the show, we'll be talking about Prince Harry. Uh, He's also going to be investigated by the law uh, because it turns out that uh, there's a think tank in America that wants to see whether or not 
he actually declared his drug use when he applied for citizenship or at least residency of California, the state of. Um, he's saying, or friends of his are saying, oh yes, he definitely declared all the drugs that he took uh, before he asked if he could go and join them. Alan Cochrane is here as well, a former Scottish editor of the Daily Telegraph. Matt Vickers as well from the Tory party, of course. Deputy chairman now, a man that we used to speak to uh, many moons ago when he was a nobody. This is what happens when you join up with the independent Republican Mike Graham and get promoted. Alan Mendoza's here. We'll find out what Emmanuel Macron's doing in China. Uh, Adam Coleman will talk about the Donald Trump investigation and the arrest of Donald Trump from yesterday. We'll play you an awful lot of some of what he was said last night because you might have been asleep when it was said. Donald Trump uh, making a big speech at Mar-a-Lago after flying back from New York to Florida uh, when he got out of the courtroom. It's hard to believe that's all in one show, isn't it? I mean, as if you couldn't want any more. Incredible. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let us get it on. So, uh, before we go to Susan Hall, who's got lots to say about a great many things, including the latest from Sadiq Khan's office, let us go straight for the breaking news of the day to Peter Cardwell, Talk Radio's political editor, some seismic developments up in Scotland. Peter, a very good morning to you. Um, good shocking, morning, Mike. Shocking news from uh, the inside of the SNP. I realise there's an arrest, so there's a limited number of things we can say, but tell us what you know. Yeah, well, it's pretty dramatic stuff. There's a forensic tent outside Nicola Sturgeon's house that she shares with her husband, Peter Morell. Um, fascinating. Uh, there's been a probe for some time over money to uh, an independence fund that the SNP had, £600,000. There was also a £107,000 loan from Peter Morell to that uh, fund. And, uh, excuse me. God and, bless uh, you. Thank you. Uh, questions around that in terms of... Oh, excuse me, sorry. <laughs> apologies. It's that so bloody Peter cat Morrell's of been... yours. You're probably allergic to it. Uh, it's apologies. So uh, Peter Morrell's been arrested, and uh, this is a very dramatic development because it's only a few weeks, really, only a few days since Nicola Sturgeon resigned. Massive headache for Humza Youssef, who is her successor as SNP leader and uh, as First Minister of Scotland. But yes, we're in this situation where the Police Scotland and the Crown Office, which is the bit of uh, government or the bit of the legal system in Scotland that investigates these things, are investigating how this £600,000 of funding uh, raised by the SNP for campaigning has been spent. They've taken Peter Morell into custody, this 58-year-old man. It is him into custody in uh, connection with it. He's being questioned as we speak, and they're carrying out searches at a number of addresses. So obviously he hasn't been charged yet. There's no uh, there's no uh, suggestion that he's necessarily done anything wrong. But of course he has been arrested, and the police think there is cause to uh, look into his affairs and all of this. There's been a number of times when Nicola Sturgeon was asked as first minister, "When did you know about problems with this? When did you know that Peter Morell had uh, lent 107 thousand pounds?" She always said it was his money rather than their money jointly necessarily. Um, that she hasn't been questioned about this as far as we know. He hadn't been questioned about this investigation, which was ongoing for some time. But, I mean, it is a massive scandal. It is a dramatic development. And when you have a forensic tent outside your house, presumably the police are searching that house at the moment. They're looking for all sorts of evidence. No doubt they'll be taking away mm. computers and things like that. But this is really, really 
dramatic stuff in Scottish politics. Yeah, it absolutely is. Peter, thank you very much uh, indeed. Peter Cardwell there with the latest news from Scotland. Uh, Talk Radio's political editor. Uh, the police have arrested Peter Murrell. Uh, I'm looking at now a picture that's been posted by Kieran Andrews, who's the Scottish political editor of The Times in Scotland. And it is indeed showing a forensic tent outside the home of Nicholas Sturgeon and Peter Murrell. Absolutely extraordinary development. Uh, let's go straight to Susan Hall, uh, who, of course, chair of the Police and Crime Committee in London at the London Assembly. Susan and a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm very well indeed. It's hard to keep up with all this legal action going on against politicians. I mean, politics seems to be now sort of crime-ridden. We've got Donald Trump in America. Uh, We've got Sadiq Khan being investigated by High Court. Uh, We've now got uh, Peter Murrell uh, being arrested by the Scottish police. I mean, obviously, we don't know much about what's happened, but pretty extraordinary times when you've got a police forensic um, tent outside your house from the former First Minister. Well, I know, but then didn't we all wonder why she'd suddenly resigned like that? That came out of the blue, no warning whatsoever. And there were wonderings at the time as to whether there was something more to it. Yes. Interesting, though, that this has only come about after the whole thing um, of the the party, their party has been sorted out, Mm. and then this comes. Um, Well, we'll wait and see, won't we, Mike? We can't say too much now. But what interesting times we live in. Well, indeed, we can't say too much. But what I can tell you is that I was told before all of this happened that the the, the SNP were putting on uh, a bit of a speedy run to get a new leader before all this kind of unfolded, because it might well be uh, that the SNP is holed below the waterline. Never mind whether or not anybody's guilty of anything. It's just a terrible look to be investigated by the police, isn't it? Well, it really is. Um, um, I bet they're, they're pleased they've sorted their leadership thing out. Mm. But, well, we'll see what happens in the next few days. In the meantime, we've got Donald Trump all over the newspapers again, which I'm sure, although it's not a good thing, I mean, it is politically good to be up there at the top of the news all the time. Well, um, it's not doing him any harm as far as his, lo- uh, his, his kind of supporters are concerned. I was talking to my sister last night uh, who lives over in America, and she was saying it's a pretty sad day for American politics because it is when I was watching it yesterday I just thought to myself this looks so terrible for America and isn't it a shame that American politics has kind of fallen so far that this is what they call rivalry you know that they can have an elected official um, albeit who's a district attorney in Manhattan who is so anti-Trump that he declared that when when he was running for, for office that he would bring Trump down he appears to have brought this case because of that reason and no other reason, people are saying if it wasn't for Donald Trump, these charges would never be brought against anybody else. And I'm not defending Donald Trump. It's not for me to do that. But it does seem very petty. Well, it does. Um, and it plays to his supporters, doesn't it? Yeah, um, totally. Well, he's, he's, he's making millions and millions in donations for his, for his campaign. He's gone up in popularity. The, 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 the measure between him and Ron DeSantis has grown. Uh, he's more popular than ever. Yeah, that's right. And I suspect he knew that that would happen anyway. Mm. Um, He's not as daft as he can appear to be sometimes. And speaking of narcissistic megalomaniacs, how is Sadiq Khan? (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. Oh, God. He's the same as ever, I'm afraid. I'm praying that this uh, High Court ruling says that the the consultation was uh, illegitimate because then... People living in outside London or the outer parts of London may have some reprieve from this dreadful extended ULEZ that nobody wants or the majority of us do not want, Mike. 
No, exactly right. And I mean, we used to always have to preface all of these conversations with people in the rest of the country to say things like, well, of course, it will come to you at some point. I don't think this is just a London-centric conversation. And that has proven to be true. They've now got uh, um, a ULED zone in Newcastle. They've got one in Glasgow. They're unveiling one, I think, pretty soon uh, in Cardiff. They've got one in Bristol. Oxford is going with a low-traffic neighbourhood scheme. You know, it's all over the country now. Yeah, and they are dreadful things. They cause snarl-ups in other areas. Um, it's just a war on the motorists at the moment. Uh, this ULES thing, though, in London, and obviously I talk about London. I know you, you look at further afield, mm. but London is, is where I'm a politician. And it's just dreadful situation we're, we're in now. I'm just glad that we managed at the, on the um, London GLA to expose the scandal that, that was that consultation because then um, people can see what he's actually doing. Well, exactly right. I mean, one of the most extraordinary stories I think I've seen, even in the time that you and I have been speaking, was one that I came across yesterday in which it was revealed that uh, Transport for London gives free travel to something like 54,000 people who claim to be friends and family of TFL staff. I mean, that alone, uh, if they made them pay, would solve the, the financial crisis they're in. Yes, well, I've been bringing this up with TFL for oh, as long as I've been on the Assembly. Yeah. And they say it costs them absolutely nothing. I mean, you couldn't make it up. They say because they don't have to put on any more uh, trains to accommodate these people or anything else, therefore it doesn't cost any money. What about the loss of revenue? Well, right. For need to travel, they would be paying if they didn't get these... Um, these free passes, and it's it's very annoying. Uh, TFL have given them to extra people now. Mm. I, I just think it's all right for people that work for TFL to get a pass as a perk, but not for anybody that they live with. I mean, it's just... Well, it's worse than that. According to a story I read yesterday, uh, more than 19,000 people have been nominated by TFL members of staff. More than 21,000 have been nominated by bus drivers. More than 10,000 friends or relatives have retired TFL staff. And 3,300 people who know third-party workers. So, you know, I know you. Uh, if you've got a friend that works at TFL, I can travel for free, apparently. Yep. Well, I think I think there's a thing that you have to live with that person. But we've got so many house shares going on in London. Um, yeah. How are they going to check? Well, I don't know. And I actually asked once how much they were used. And the commissioner said that they didn't have a way of checking how many journeys right. were, were used by these parties. I mean, what it, what it is shows it's just more profligacy with public money, isn't it? If it's not your money, you don't care. Yes, that's right. Oh, the, I'm afraid that is rife everywhere. If if everybody ran their businesses or public bodies as if it were their own, as if it were their own money, mm. we'd see a damn change, I tell you. that We really would. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's about crazy. time. It's about time somebody got to grips with this organisation, and it's Sadiq Khan's job to do that, but we don't expect anything too much from him. Stay where you are, if you would, Susan. We've got more to talk to you about, including uh, the possible change coming from Rishi Sunak uh, in the laws around biological women and their protected rights in society vis-a-vis um, the Gender Recognition Act up in Scotland and elsewhere. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. The breaking news is that the police have arrested 
assisted Peter Murrell, who is the husband uh, of Nicola Sturgeon, formerly uh, the chief executive officer of the Scottish National Party, a man who has been uh, asked an awful lot of questions about some money uh, that may or may not have gone missing, uh, which was donated to the party, uh, money that he loaned to the party, uh, all sorts of questions that were asked before Nicola Sturgeon resigned. After she resigned, Hamza Youssef was very rapidly installed as the new leader of the SNP. It now looks as though a police investigation uh, and its tentacles have reached inside the house of Nicola Sturgeon. Uh, there is a forensic tent outside. The police are currently combing through all sorts of things inside Nicola Sturgeon's home, presuming uh, that they're also looking into other um, uh, addresses as well. It's a massive scandal. It's a massive, massive scandal. We'll be bringing you it as it unfolds and develops throughout the course of this morning. We're talking to Susan Hall, uh, who is, of course, uh, head of the Tory party in the London Assembly. She's the opposite number to Sadiq Khan. Just uh, away from politics, I suppose, for a moment, although it's Rishi Sunak related, Susan, um, we're hearing this morning that uh, he's going to rewrite equality laws to protect women by making it easier to bar trans people from female sports and single sex spaces. Despite what's happening in Scotland, and, and many people think that it was the trans issue that kind of led to Nicola Sturgeon's fall from grace because of the craziness of putting a male rapist into a women's prison. Um, it does feel to me as though the politicians in, in England are starting to get this right. Well, um, to be honest, it's about time. It's, you know, um, trans people, of course, uh, deserve to have their rights protected. Um, and and we, we all know and, and appreciate that. But this has got to be balanced with the rights of women. Yeah. Over 50% of the population of the world are women. And we have been watching our rights diminish more and more and more. Um, especially if you look at um, changing rooms and competitive sports, competitive sports, you want to pull your hair out with some of the results. Yeah. I mean, with, it's, with... It has been ludicrous, hasn't it? And there's been a sort of fear, a bit like the grooming gang story, which we came uh, to look at this week as well. There's a sort of fear of offending people, you know, uh, instead of actually carrying out what appears to be commonsensical law. Well, I'm so fed up, Mike, with this constant... Um, people being offended by absolutely everything. Yeah. And of course, if you're a politician, you shy away from that because, you know, you'll be lambasted even more. I mean, I've, I've gone on and said a few things about um, trans in, in competitive sports and you suddenly get completely attacked by a certain part yeah. of, of that community. Um, and most of that community just want to live their lives quietly and you know, and be treated with yeah. respect. It's, yeah, it's well, I mean, we speak to trans people who ring into this show who say we don't want all this kind of negative, um, pr uh, ridiculous publicity. We'd rather just get on with it. You know, we don't wish to impose ourselves on anybody. We don't want to be strolling into female toilets all the time. We don't want to have rights to do this, that or the other. You know, we don't want people to make a fuss about it, basically. Well, no, that's absolutely right. And, and respect to them for that. It. But it's the other angle of people that go for anybody that you'll be called transphobic. It, it's a ridiculous situation. We, we've got free speech just about in this country. It's being eroded more and more and women's rights are eroded more and more. And I absolutely applaud uh, people like um, J.K. Rowling and Sharon Davis for um, really standing their ground against an awful lot of uh, vile abuse. Good mm. for them. And I always 
stand with women's rights. We fought hard enough for them. We don't well, this is the do. irony, isn't it? You know, you fought long and hard yeah. for women's rights and suddenly here are some people who, whose main opposition, it seems to be, are women. You know, they want to be women, uh, but in order to be women, they want to shove actual women out to the side. Yeah, 100%. And, and I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a feminist or anything like that, but, you know, we must protect women's um, rights, really, and, and they're being eroded in some respects. So I, I really welcome um, greater clarity um, from Rishi Sunak into these laws. And, yeah. and it's about time, the sooner the better, in my view. Yes, absolutely right. I think that's very, very true. Um, the coronation's coming up. Uh, there's a lot of stories around this morning that Camilla will soon now no longer be the Queen Consort. She will be the Queen. Um, proof positive, I think, um, and we're going to be talking about this later on in the show, that, that the royal family still pulls in quite a lot of power and quite a lot of people. Uh, the trip to Germany was very successful. You know, those people who like to complain that the royal family's not worth the money. I mean, the, 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 the coronation's going to be huge, isn't it? It is. I'm a massive royalist. I really am. I always have been. Um, I've always liked Camilla as well. I had the great privilege of meeting her years and years ago um, down on their estate. And she is just so pleasant. I, I really like her. She hasn't put a foot wrong. Um, although don't listen to Harry, obviously, though you and I might never listen to Harry, <laughs> do we? Uh, but uh, no, I'm a massive royalist and good luck to them both. Um, I'm sure it'd be a wonderful occasion. And she is Queen Camilla. So yeah. I'm very pleased. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think that'll be a very happy day. What are you making, by the way, just in general terms? I've been slightly, um, I suppose, critical of Rishi Sunak's announcements. They seem to be making one every single day at the moment. It's kind of shop window politics. One day they're going to put migrants on barges. The next day they're going to send them to Rwanda. Another day they're going to put them out of the hotels into uh, former barracks in, in, in places like uh, Norfolk and Essex and, and then an old disused prison uh, in, uh, in uh, Sussex. Um, they're doing a lot. There's a lot of activity going on, but is it actually is any of it making any difference? I suppose is my question. I think um, time will tell, and hopefully not too much time. In all honesty, Mike, it's not an easy solution, but there isn't an easy solution. If there were, um, you know, we'd have come to that solution a long time ago. It, if we're missing something, I'm sure Labour would have told us. As mm. it is, they'll just criticise every single thing. What Labour do not understand is that people. The, the majority of, of people in England want this addressed and want it sorted. Yeah. And I do think Rishi is taking the issues that we are concerned about and looking to see if we can sort things out. Yes. Um, I think there's no question that, that Keir Starmer, the jury is still out. I mean, yes, only yesterday in the Times uh, front page story saying that 50% of people uh, still don't think he has any vision um, and are not that comfortable about him becoming the next prime minister. Well, you're asking the wrong one, really, aren't you? I'm Tory through and through, but um, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't fear him as an opponent because I don't think he does come up with things that would make the majority think, "Oh, that's a really good idea." Oh. All he does is criticise what we do as Tories and doesn't give any option of what else they would mm. do. Whenever they're asked, "Well, what would you do?" Oh, well, you'll have to wait to see our manifesto, or you'll have to wait mm. for this or that. So, you know, help all of us out. We're all in this together. If there are, if there's an easy answer to any of these issues, then please do share them. Uh, and, and let's see how we can make Britain a much safer place and a happier place, yeah. quite frankly. 
Absolutely right. Good to talk to you, Susan. Thank you very much indeed. Susan Hall, Chair of the Police and Crime Committee in London at the London Assembly, of course, leader of the Tories as well uh, against Sadiq Khan in that particular building in a place where Sadiq Khan rules it as if he is some kind of imperial um, ruler uh, who doesn't ever have to be questioned, who doesn't ever have to take into account whatever anything anybody says. 0344-499-1000 is the number. I'm told uh, now reliably that the SNP headquarters is also being searched by the police. Uh, it could be as many as four vans outside that HQ. And we are also being told uh, that as far as what you can see is concerned uh, on my Twitter feed, as far as the forensic um, tents that are outside Nicola Sturgeon's house, uh, we are told that they are some form of digital forensics. So remarkable stuff going on up in Scotland. Uh, time to call, uh, call in the old uh, detectives, the Ian Rankin Brigade, isn't it? 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk TV. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate, the independent republic of Mike Graham. Online on DAB, Talk Radio, and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Well, I tell you what, it's quite a day. We came in this morning thinking we're going to have to do an awful lot uh, on the investigation into Donald Trump, the court case that happened yesterday, uh, his speech at Mar-a-Lago. We will be getting to that uh, in the final hour of the show. We will be talking to Adam Coleman over in the United States of America, of course. Adam Mendoza joins us in this hour as well. He can talk about that. But significant developments in the news here at home uh, this morning when uh, when uh, it looks like Nicholas Sturgeon's husband, Peter Morell, uh, has been arrested by the police in Scotland. There is a forensic tent outside the Sturgeon's home uh, in central Scotland. There is also uh, four police vans, a presence. We've now just uh, tweeted out a picture of four police vans outside SNP headquarters where there is also a forensic search going on. We are told a digital forensic search, which obviously will include the removal of certain computers, uh, etc. And it would appear as well uh, as though uh, there's an investigation into the finances of the Scottish National Party. Peter Morell, of course, not only Nicola Sturgeon's husband, but he was formerly the chief executive officer of the SNP. Uh, He resigned from that job, what, a couple of weeks ago? A couple of weeks after uh, his wife Nicola Sturgeon resigned as first minister. Uh, She's now been replaced by Hamza Useless, sorry, uh, Hamza Yusuf, uh, who apparently is going to take on her mantle uh, with some difficulty, you might think, uh, given the defenestration of the party, which appears to be going on as we speak by Police Scotland. It's an extraordinary development uh, in Scottish politics, in British politics, and who better to ask about it than Matt Vickers, Conservative Party Deputy Chairman, MP for Stockton South, another man uh, who we sort of uh, brought to the uh, to the fore uh, when he was a mere backbench MP. Look at him now, and he's now a Conservative Party Deputy Chairman. Welcome back to the Independent Republic. Matt Vickers, how are you? Good morning, Mike. Long time no see. Absolutely right. Well, you've gone on to bigger things, haven't you? I mean, I've seen you on Piers Morgan's show. I've seen you on Jeremy Carl's show. You're going out to those big television studios out in West London, you know. Uh, we're still sitting here in our little cosy radio studio doing talk TV from here. But, you know, what can I say? You're still original and the best, Mike. You're still <laughs> original and the best. Listen, we've, we've, got to, we've got to kick off. I know we want to talk about lots of things, including antisocial behaviour and all of that. But let's talk, first of all, about this incredible story in Scotland, the SNP. There's not much we can say, obviously, because it's a police investigation but what an extraordinary thing to have the the husband of the former first minister of scotland and the former 
chief executive officer of the Scottish National Party, arrested today by the police. Uh, they're searching his house. They've got a foren digital forensic tent outside the home and four police vans outside the SNP headquarters. I mean, it's like something out of uh, Colombo. Yeah, it's very much a developing situation. We wait to see the details, but lots of people had cynical ideas as to why Nicola Sturgeon went when she did. Yes. She went because she'd trashed the education system in Scotland. They may think she went because the NHS was, well, the backside was falling out of Scotland's NHS. They may think she went because of because drug deaths in Scotland are the highest in Europe. But maybe that wasn't the case. Maybe she's gone for something else. Cynics might argue that there's a, she knew this was coming, that something was coming down the line. We'll see. We'll yes. see. We've got all the ins and outs of it and we can't decide. No, it's absolutely extraordinary stuff. I mean, funnily enough, there's not many people coming forward from the SNP to talk to us today. Uh, they haven't got much to say for themselves. So so instead, we'll have to talk about Rishi Sunak and what the government is doing. Now, I've been, I hope you don't think I've been unkind uh, to Rishi Sunak, but I've been saying the problem with a lot of the announcements coming out at the moment is it seems to me to be very much sort of shop window politics. All the ideas seem to be pretty good. But the question is, can they work and will they make any difference? That is the problem with you journalists. If things sound <laughs> good and are doing, actually, you know what? Doing what people want done, sorting the small boats crisis, real. Actually, Rishi's a bright guy. He gets things done. He's doing what people want. He's tackling that NHS waiting list. We've got a diagnostics centre getting built here in Stockton. Uh, we're sorting the boats out. We're taking care of that £6 million a day hotel bill. We're getting on with the job, and I think he's doing a damn good job. I'm sure you will have lots of questions about how it might fall flat on its backside, and that's your job. Yeah, but listen, uh, the difference between me and most journalists, Matt, is I want these things to work. I do want them to succeed, and they, they are the right thing to do, but I'm just concerned that, you know, saying it is one thing, making it actually happen is another. I think so. I actually, I am sat in my constituency, and the other day I had Rishi for dinner. I can see where I had him for dinner. It was over there. Uh, I was Rishi's agent. We had dinner over there and we were talking about these issues. We are talking about the big issues of the day. That is a man who works 24-7. Yeah. He never stops. He's dealing with the big issues. The things that I see on the doorstep, when I knock on doorsteps in Stockton, as I'm going to be doing for the next fortnight because we're on recess, they're talking about that small boat crisis. They're talking about the th exactly the things that Rishi's talking about and the solutions that Rishi's talking about. And Rishi's bright enough to get the damn thing mm. done. Yeah. Uh, there's no, there's, listen, there's no, there's no question that people are sick to the back teeth of the of the boat crisis and the people coming here for free. Uh, when we've got homeless people who don't get any help, when we've got pensioners who can't heat their own homes, when we've got you know people really struggling with the cost of living, and suddenly they look across the street and there's a hotel full of people who don't belong here, who have not come here for any reason other than to to make a bit more money, who have no identification, and we don't know who they are. You know, but I wonder whether there might be something more drastic that can be done in the sense of actually stopping them coming as opposed to putting them in places once they've got here. When you when people know that they arrive in this country, they are detained and they are sent back to where they came from, they will stop paying people thousands of pounds mm. to put them in the boat. Right. That has to be the case. You wouldn't get in that boat. I wouldn't get in that boat and pay thousands and thousands of pounds in the whole bit of, a, you know, economic migrant shopping if I knew I was going back and they will not do it. We will disincentivise. We will break that smuggling gang's business model. Well, I certainly hope so because you'll certainly have my support and you'll have an awful lot of support the people that watch Talk TV and listen to it, Matt, and you know that. But also, isn't it ironic that last weekend a lot of people going to France from here perfectly legally in coaches and cars and lorries and vans um, couldn't get there because they had to sit in a queue for 15 hours. Come the other way on a dinghy, you got no problem at all. Yeah, it is. It is madness. I couldn't even try to to defend such a situation. It's bonkers. But do you know what? 
people should get in their cars and they should head north instead and yeah. to see what we've got to offer. Who wants to go to France anyway? Well, the trouble is I'm going there next week, which is probably a mistake. I didn't. It wasn't my idea, but never mind. I've just been dragged along to pay for it. What about um, the situation currently down in Dorset, though? There's a suggestion that there's going to be um, a boat moored off the coast of Dorset where some of these migrants are going to be put. Pretty Patel um, is, a, is, is one of those people who is against some of the new policies of putting migrants into uh, into Essex, for example, in near her constituency. The Tory MP, uh, Mr Drax, down in Dorset, is also against it. So, I mean, how are you going to get your own side to actually agree with what's going on? I'm sure wherever these sites are based, there is going to be a problem and a difficulty. It comes with big consequences for the local community. Uh, but actually, what we're doing is we're detaining them. So when this legislation goes through, when it is voted through, these people will not be rocking up in a hotel in the towns, which we can't afford to do anymore. Right. Six million people cannot allow this to go on. Firstly, we need to put them somewhere other than a hotel. You come over here, it's not going to be. The welcome mat isn't out unless you are actually fleeing. Mm. France is a safe country. You're not fleeing France. That this, this stupid idea that people are coming here from, from where... People who come from war-torn countries, a lot of whom we have accommodated and made good space for and took care of, but actually, if you come over here illegally... There's not going to be a welcome, Matt. Mm. You're going to be in slightly tougher accommodation. Yeah. I mean, how soon do you think it will be before somebody in your position or somebody quite high up in the cabinet says, look, we haven't simply haven't got room for any more people? Well, we, we, we A, have to work out what we've got here and how we deal with that asylum backlog. There's a lot of money going in now in the Home Office to process applications more quickly because it is absolutely bonkers how long people are sitting waiting to find out. Uh, whether their, their claim has been successful. But moreover, we just need to stop people coming across that channel illegally. And once we do that, we can take a proper look at who comes here, who doesn't, and who can come and contribute to our economy. But until we break that, that smuggling gang uh, business model on the, on the channel, we have, we have nothing else we can offer. We are just going to keep filling hotels and keep filling army yeah. bases and keep filling barges. So I think, firstly, let's get sorted out on what's going on that channel. Yeah, I think everybody would like to see that. Let's talk a bit about law and order, because obviously a big question, Mark, that comes up every single time, again, every, on a daily basis on this show. Too many people um, not being sent to prison for long enough. Too many people getting let out of prison early. Too many people getting parole who shouldn't. And of course, all the antisocial behaviour that goes on uh, in every town and city in this country. Uh, people want to see an end to that as well. There's lots of measures being put into place. Um, what's your view of, of how soon people can expect to have their lives slightly less disrupted uh, by criminals and yobbos? Yep. So in recent times, I think we've made huge progress. We've got more police on the streets. We're soon going to have more police on the streets than we've ever had. There's 252 more police in Cleveland. I'm really positive about that. Um, I'm positive about the fact that people who commit some of the most, well, the violent, the sexual offences... We've changed the tariffs around that. They are going to prison for longer, and it's entirely the right thing to do. Um, I'm glad that we're deporting foreign criminals. I think that's entirely the right thing to do. But when it comes down to people's daily lives here in Stockholm South, I saw footage the other day of kids driving around on off-road bikes in residential areas in Thornaby. Right. It's disgusting. It's right. like something out of some sort of daft American film. Like, yeah. these are the streets of Britain, and these kids are feral. Mm. They're going out bonkers and driving making people's lives a misery people who i was speaking to a pensioner who doesn't dare turn her bedroom light on because she knows if she turns it on and the kids are outside there's probably a stone coming at the window or through the window yeah. you know ringing a door that is not a thing that can happen in this country and it's got to stop mm. i've met with the chief constable we've had a good discussion about what's going on but last week the police announced well the government announced funding for police forces across this country to do just that two things 
One, putting more hotspot policing. So enforcement teams who are going to go around those areas where it's happening and make sure those kids know there is a presence. Mm. This isn't a place you can hang out, torture and pensioners. It's not happening anymore. Is there, a, uh, is there anything you can do with their parents to try and get their parents to put some pressure on them? Parents are the biggest challenge. These children, often their parents don't know where they are. Sometimes they don't have any interest in where they are or what they're doing. So it, be, it becomes the state's problem. It becomes the council's problem, the police's problem to get a grip of them. And the other part of that plan, so as well as putting more of this hotspot policing in place, we're actually going to deliver quicker justice. So if these kids get caught, the consequences are quicker. They're not going to sit around months and months and months to go to court to get, to get a, you know, to be told they've got to go out there and clean up and sort out the mess they've, cr con they've created. Actually, we're going to turn that around quicker mm. so that youngsters learn the consequences of their actions. We're having to step in, often where parents are letting these youngsters down. Yeah, right. Do you think the police are too woke, Matt? The police are too woke. You know what? I'm sure you can give me millions of examples of where the police are too woke. I think we've ended up in a, play, in a place where social media and the press rip the police apart for everything they do uh, and tell them they're too this and they're too that. And they've So the police are jumping through hoops constantly to comply as well as trying to just get on with a job of yeah. fighting. Right. And that is the other thing that we see, <clears throat> particularly in, in parts of inner cities, terribly bad in London, uh, in other parts of the country as well, Birmingham too, um, an awful lot of machetes in use, an awful lot of these ridiculously huge sort of knives that you can apparently buy willy-nilly, uh, people with swords attacking each other in the streets. I mean, there's a certain lawlessness about Britain at the moment. Well, I mean, one of the things, I mean, it's a very interesting argument because the, the way to stop knife crime is stop and search. The left go absolutely mental every time we bring up the ante on stop and search. We said these people who would turn up to glue themselves to the road should be searched. And if yeah. they've got the stuff, they're going to chain themselves to, to whatever it is or glue themselves. There should be consequences. If you're mm. carrying it, there should be consequences. But the only way for the police to do that is through stop and search to get those things out of people's pockets and get those people put in prison. Yeah. But they're so bonkers at the thought of it. We're infringing people's rights and we, we're profiling people by pulling them over and searching them. Well, I'd like to infringe some people's rights, I'll tell you that. Uh, a couple of questions for you just before we let you go. Gabby says this. Please can you ask Matt Vickers why Scottish Tories are telling voters to vote Labour instead of Conservative with this SNP scandal? They should be talking about why Conservatives are better than the SNP. Well, I don't know who, who, who is saying such a thing. Uh, but point in my way, because if you're in Scotland, get voting Conservative. Let's sort out the Scottish education system. Let's sort out the Scottish health system. Yeah. And let's... Scotland being the drugs death capital of Europe. Yeah, well, that would be good. And then this, I'm not sure this is true, actually, but Ellie's asked the question. Uh, when you ask Matt Vickers why the government have banned the filming of migrants arriving and banned groups that share pictures of this, and why do they think the public should not be shown this? I don't know if that's true, is it? I don't know that that's true. Um, I don't know that's true. But you know what? We need to stop filming and we need to go on. Get on Well, with how about stop, stop filming them, just stop them? Yeah, Instead stop of filming them. them. <laughs> Exactly right. Matt, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Matt Vickers, Conservative Party Deputy Chairman uh, and MP for Stockton South. Very positive on Rishi Sunak. You may disagree with him, but what I'm saying about Rishi Sunak is this. A lot of these announcements are very good ideas. A lot of them are exactly what we've been recommending and what we've been urging for uh, for the best part of the last couple of years. The question for me is whether they will actually be put into practice and will they work? Of course, if Rishi Sunak can stop the boats coming, He's going to win the next election. It's as simple as that. If he can tidy up the justice system, if he can stop the yobbery uh, and the nuisance and the antisocial behaviour on our streets, he will win the next election. It's all about law and order. It's all about tax. It's all about immigration. That 
is what this country is all about and that is what the people will vote for. And if you get it right, you'll be the next Prime Minister again, Mr Sunak. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Talk. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Sport have live and exclusive radio commentary from the Premier League tonight. Manchester United versus Brentford from 8pm. And it's not, repeat, not on television. TalkSport is the only place to listen to the game, so download the free TalkSport app now. Uh, if you've got any friends who are Manchester United fans, bad luck. Uh, but tell them, it's the only place you can hear it. Uh, Brentford as well, of course, from 8pm tonight on TalkSport. Download the app right now. Let's talk though now to Alan Mendoza, Executive Director of the Henry Jackson Society. So much to talk about, uh, so much to say. Uh, not least, I suppose we should kick off, Alan, a very good morning to you, uh, with Mr Donald Trump. I mean, that was the big story this morning when I woke up uh, before what happened in Scotland, um, but we'll come back to that later on. Um, what do you make of the circus that is the Donald Trump sort of um, court case and the court hearing yesterday? It was quite remarkable, wasn't it? Oh, Mike, circus is exactly the word. I mean, talk about yeah, so whole sort of farcical process. Here you have Trump. We know that this has been hanging over him for for sort of you know months and years. This sort of various potential indictments coming his way. He predicted he'd be arrested because he knew obviously it was coming down the line. And here we go. He's in court theater. Thirty four apparent felonies. He'll go and fight them now. He's going to spend the whole time defending himself across the country and i don't think americans will be any the wiser at the end of this process i don't think he will be any wiser however it's quite clear that he intends to use this as a big campaigning issue and uh, it may well help him uh, gain more prominence politically well it's very much working in his favor at the moment it seems to me and i think without um even asking anybody what side they're on most people were quite surprised at how weak the case appears to be and why on earth this man uh, who is um um, you know, Alvin Bragg has brought the case. Is very clear. He's done it because he wants to bring um, Donald Trump down, which was his stated intention when he was running for office. 
Well, he's not going to bring Donald Trump down with this. And that's the you know, perversity of this. I can't see how Alvin Bragg could possibly think he's going to bring Donald Trump down because the common consensus among any uh, commentators, legal commentators, is that the charges are so minor. Yes, they're real. I mean, we shouldn't pretend that there is you know, no case to answer here, but they're charges that will be resolved by fining somebody rather than any jail time. So what exactly are they trying to achieve by this? And you know, if there is more stuff coming down the line, for example, the Georgia election tampering, you know, other cases that might be uh, more significant, should they not have waited for that rather than rushing into this uh, whole process now? Well, I mean, unless they're very clever, which I very much doubt, um, they could be using this, I suppose, as a setup so that, you know, if he wins this, he thinks he's got away with something and then they hit him with something a bit more serious. But it would appear that that's not the case because the next court hearing is not until December. Well, exactly. And that's what's so mysterious about uh, about all of this. Look, again, I don't think anyone should make any excuses for law breaking. I think, you know, most people when presented the evidence would suggest, you know, uh, you know, Trump may well have done what he'd been accused of. But the, the question is, number one, does this warrant the circus that's emerged? Number two, is the timing correct on this? And should it not have worked better? And number three, you know, there is a theory doing the rounds that the reason this has been put forward is indeed to, if you like, have Democrats promote Trump uh, because it's going to be far too weak to wound him. It'll add to a sense of grievance among his supporters and it will actually knock out, you know, potentially more sensible Republican candidates who will be, uh, you know, kind of facing wounded, you know, sort of vindicated mm. Trump in this whole process. But as somebody I was speaking to last night in America said to me, it's a very dangerous strategy for the Democrats if they want to end up with Trump uh, as the Republican nominee, because if it is Trump against Biden, anything's possible in a two man, two horse race in uh, to wit, you know, Biden could trip over, fall down some stairs, um, mistake somebody's identity, say the wrong thing, you know, any number of things could happen to him. And, and that would give the White House back to Trump. Yeah, you know what? I'd agree with you entirely there, Mike. Don't don't forget that in this country, uh, when Jeremy Corbyn was elected Labour leader in 2015, there were a few people, I knew a few, who joined Labour precisely to engineer this outcome and right. thought, you know what, let's get Corbyn. It'll be a disaster. And then let's not forget, you know, he almost won the 2017 yeah. general election. Um, and, you know, we could have had a disaster on our hands. So you're quite right. This is a, a potentially dangerous tactic mm. to use. And while it may look sensible for Democrats to say, oh, Trump's the weaker candidate right now, you never know. Politics is a long time. I mean, Biden might keel over and die. Anything's possible. Yeah, well, indeed. And it's not a million miles from the truth. Let's just have a quick look at what Donald Trump had to say last night. He made a big speech at Mar-a-Lago, uh, his home in Florida, which was raided, of course, remember, by the FBI last year. Uh, he flew back from New York after the arraignment hearing. And here's what he had to say about the process. And this is where we are right now. I have a Trump-hating judge with a Trump-hating wife and family whose daughter worked for Kamala Harris and now receives money from the Biden-Harris campaign and a lot of it. I mean, it's hard to disagree with Donald Trump that this is a witch hunt, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, look, there are legal issues that need to be resolved. There's no doubt about it. I don't think, you know, pursuit of justice, if you like, is necessarily legal. But the way the Americans do pursuit of justice sometimes is clearly political. And that's, I think, is the question now. Like I said, if you're really after getting Donald Trump, this is not the way to do it, because at best he'll come away, you know, with a slap wrist and a fine. Um, and at worst, he may even, if you're, you know, after him, he may be able to bat it off if he's got a coherent defence on this side. So I'm, you know, the whole thing is puzzling to me. It really is very strange. Let's talk about Emmanuel Macron. Uh, apparently he's toodled off to China uh, to do something about her French-Chinese relations. I'm not quite sure what for. What, what do you reckon he's up to? 
well, no doubt knowing the French, it'll be some commercial um, uh, sort of uh, deal he's looking to sign up. Um, you know, we, we often you know, disdain the French, but actually they are remarkably successful at economic diplomacy. They are you know, able to insert their businesses and you know, other, other activities into other countries very well. And, and my feeling is that for all uh, you know, Macron saying, oh, I'm here to calm relations and to tell Xi to be with the West, I would not be uh, unsurprised if there was a commercial reason to him going as well. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, he's not in a good place at the moment domestically, is he? I mean, things in France probably couldn't be worse. But then uh, look at the effects it had on our travelling to France just last weekend where, you know, everyone was blaming Brexit for it. But clearly the French are still sort of punishing Britain for leaving the EU. Well, absolutely. And, let, and let's look at this quite logically. I don't understand. I'm sure you don't either. How it is that when I arrive at Heathrow or another airport in this country, Europe, EU uh, nationals can come in the same gates, the same electronic gates, Mike, that British citizens can. But when we go there, we are condemned to second class status. Right. Why was there not a reciprocal agreement made by the government on this? Well, it, you it do makes, wonder, don't you? Yeah, it makes no sense. How are we giving them preferential status and we are being treated in a second class way? I, I think it's shocking. Actually. Yeah. Well, I was talking to a, a, a caller yesterday who rang in and said it's all very well saying, well, Britain's now a third country. Well, so is Switzerland. Uh, but he flies to Switzerland on a regular basis and drives straight over the border into France. No, no border mm. checks at all. Now, you can say that that might be some agreement that they've made with the EU because they're not in it. But why have we not done that? Exactly. I don't get that. We are frequent travellers to the EU. We've got close connections with the EU. Everyone, the EU claims to want a close relationship with us, even if we're not in it. Why would they make this a miserable process? And, it, and if they are making it a miserable process and the government has been trying to negotiate, it should reveal to the British people that the Europeans are being difficult on mm. this subject needlessly, because as you've just said, Switzerland proves it can be done. Yeah, absolutely right. Let's talk a bit about Finland. Uh, they joined NATO yesterday. Um, long running sort of um, uh, wish of theirs to do so. Um, many people thought it might appear to be provocative to the Russians. Um, but so far, so good, right? Yeah, of course. But the Russians have got no have got no real, you know, potential thing they can do about this. The reason the Finns are joining NATO is because they've realised that if you're not a NATO member and you happen to be bordering Russia, the Russians can roll in any time. Mm. So, from their perspective, it makes perfect sense. And you've got to remember, Finland has been a you know a neutral country essentially for seventy five years. It has to be something pretty dramatic to change your view over that period. And clearly, Putin invading a non-NATO neighbour in Ukraine, unprovoked, has you know shown the Finns they need some collective security. And again, Putin's the author of his own misfortune. He moans about NATO being on his borders, but he's done more to expand NATO's power than anyone previously. Mm, indeed. And you and I haven't really spoken about Ukraine recently. What's your view of how the rest of this kind of uh, period of the next few weeks and months pans out? Well, as we know, there's bitter fighting in Bakhmut. You know, that, that sort of is, seems to be street to street sort of fighting, yeah. uh, which the Russians are slowly, very slowly winning, but at a huge cost. The Ukrainians are bleeding them, basically, there. Um, I think the, the, the figure is anywhere between five to seven Russians are being lost for every one Ukrainian. Yeah. Um, and, and this is, you know, not good going for Putin. He needs successes. He's not getting successes. But, you know, we're waiting for spring offensives to occur, which haven't started yet, even though spring has started. So in reality, the war seems to be rather stalemated at the moment. Yeah. But is there a peace deal in any way foreseeable? I mean, can you even imagine what it would look like? 
Not right now, because for a peace deal to work, essentially, uh, the Russians have to accept they're losing, and it's better for them to sue for peace than to keep on fighting. Putin can't accept he's losing, though, because if he accepts he's losing, he's toast. You can't bring your country into war, you know, for over a year, bring these sanctions, have your elite, you know, kind of kicked out of the West, and then go, sorry, guys, it was only a joke. I'm going to, you know, kind of do this. He's, he's in an impossible situation. I, ultimately, Mike, I think this only ends um, with Putin being carried out somehow, either in a coffin or, you know, shipped off to a Dhaka somewhere in, mm. in exile by his own circle. But I can't see that happening right now. No, indeed. And finally, um, he says he's not coming to the coronation, but apparently Joe Biden, breaking news, will visit Northern Ireland and the Republic from April the 11th to the 14th to mark the tremendous progress since the signing of the Good Friday Agreement 25 years ago. Uh, that's coming out of the White House this morning. Um, that's next week. Yes, well, how how wonderful for him to uh, to pop in for a for a week and to uh, to to you know sample some local uh, delicacies. I suspect this has probably more to do with American uh, electioneering than anything else. You know, the idea that obviously the Irish constituency in the U.S. is significant. Biden himself, of course, comes from Irish stock. There is a sort of you know kind of a, a look back in that kind of area, and it is interesting that Northern Ireland, Stroke Island, have always been a key determinant of American mm. interest in the UK. So I can understand why he's coming, but it is a, it is surprising he's not coming to the coronation. Well, I mean, it'll give us plenty of footage, I suppose, for next week's show, because uh, when he went to Rolling Fork last week to commiserate with him about the tornado that hit them, he called the place Rolling Stone. Um, so who knows sure what he's going to call Belfast? <laughs> you can put a sweepstake on and see what happens. <laughs> exactly right. Good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Alan Mendoza there, Executive Director of the Henry Jackson Society. That is a bit of breaking news that I should have told you a bit earlier. Joe Biden apparently visiting Ireland next week from the um, 11th of April. He'll go to Belfast and he'll go to Dublin. I wonder if he'll be able to tell the difference. And what will he say? What will he do? Who will he insult? And who will he shake hands with who isn't there? This is Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. How about this one? Uh, it's a text with no name on it. Do put your name on it so we can read out who it's from. The lawlessness in this country is beyond control, says the texter. My 87-year-old father-in-law was threatened with a machete in Manchester City Centre. All the police did was drop the knife wielder home without confiscating the weapon. It's not a bleeding taxi service. Uh, John in Sutton says this. The attempt to assassinate Donald Trump's character is election interference by the Democrats. They are very bad. Well, I think that's probably right. Um, Peter Murrell's arrest is nearly as good as Nicola Sturgeon's resignation. And with Hamza Youssef now in the driving seat, the SNP is in for an almighty crash, says Dorothy in Glasgow. Um, and then one um, from Susan who says, I think our wonderful King Charles is delightful and will serve us well together with his beloved Queen Camilla, the love of his life. I would like to wish our lovely King and his Queen a successful, happy reign. Well, there we are. Mick says, at last there is a god in Scotland. Retribution for all the bullying and mismanagement by the SNP. I can now go home. Well, I think a lot of Scots will be fascinated to see what the next developments are. I've got a lot of friends of mine who are getting in touch to say, this is extraordinary. This is brilliant. This is the end of the SNP. Uh, and it could well be just that. So keep your eyes peeled uh, and keep your ears open and keep Talk TV on. We'll bring you everything as it happens. Robert is in Essex. Hello, Robert. Robert. Yeah, so I just really wanted to give um, the Conservatives a, a pat on the back for a brilliant, brilliant scheme they've got concerning migrants. Um, which I one? In one of the villages, um, Great Bardfield. Okay. Which is right near Finchingfield. Yeah. Which is right next to Weathersfield. Out in Essex, right? Uh, correct. Yes. Now, Finchingfield is 
one of the prettiest villages in North Essex. That's a lovely... Is that the one with a little pond in the middle? That's correct. Yeah, I know it well. Yeah, I've been there. There's a lovely and pub there, great, isn't there? Great Barfield, which is where where I am, which yeah. is just a stone's throw away. Again, it's a beautiful little bit of mm. village. And also Weathersfield. Yeah. Now, what annoys me more than anything is that I'm 76. Um, I voted Conservative all my voting life. Right. Both for the locals and for general. Yeah. And through thick and thin, I stuck with them. Now, suddenly to come up with this idea to send people who they don't know who they are, who are going to outnumber the number of people in the village, there are all little country lanes down here which are like single. I don't know where you've driven down this area. I have, yeah. It's all little narrow country lanes. Yeah, of course. Single vehicle. Right. Um, houses very sparsely, um, you know, out, in the, out mm. of the country, away from anywhere. Yeah. Quite a lot of elderly people. Yeah. We've got one doctor's in Finchin Field itself, which you have to wait, because I'm under the doctor myself, and it takes two to three days to see your doctor. Right. And where are they going to go? You know, I, 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 it just fails, fails to amaze yeah. me. Well, they can't. And I mean, they happens? seem to think in this country we can't get police right. because we're not got any police here. You know, you have to wait and hope they turn up. Right. Fire brigade, ambulances, all that sort of stuff. And, and just to be worrying yourself sick every mm. night now, basically, yeah. if it does happen, is keep alert that you know nobody's breaking in or anything right. towards going on. Because let's face it, unless you know who they are. You may have criminals, you just don't know, do you? Well, that's the trouble, because we don't know who they are. I mean, people say, oh, you must be a racist if you think they're all criminals. Well, nobody says they're all criminals, but if you don't know who the hell they are, how do you know they're not? I mean, I, I'm not a racist at all. I mean, they're happy. No. But, but you know, <laughs> I don't care whether you're black or white. If you commit a crime... Yeah. You commit a crime. Well, we at least need to know about it. I mean, I, I had a look. Uh, there's there's one of these uh, places in um, Bexhill in Sussex, just to the sort of west of Hastings, in between Hastings and Eastbourne, which they want to commandeer. It's a former prison, but it hasn't been used for a long time. But it's literally at the end of a residential street. And they're talking about housing a 1,000 migrants in there in a, t in, a, in a town which has got maybe, in the local environs, maybe three or 400 people. I know, it's frightening. It's uh, crazy. I, I, I just understand... I, I, I can only assume it's true. Right, if we do that, we can say, oh, brilliant, you know, we've got rid of them. We've, we've dealt with these, the crisis. Mm. And all they've done is pushed it on to poor old villagers. Yeah, I know. Moving them around ain't the answer. They're going to have to get that message. Robert, thanks for the call. Robert, quite rightly concerned, as many people are, about the latest government plan to move migrants not from uh, from the, the beaches into a hotel or from a hotel into a barracks, but into um, residential areas. It's not right. It really isn't. 0344 499 1000. Let's talk to Alan Cochran, former Scottish editor at The Telegraph, because today the big story, the only story really, uh, it's even eclipsed the Donald Trump court hearings, is the arrest of Nicola Sturgeon's husband, Peter Morell. Uh, the police currently searching his house, their house. She was apparently told uh, to leave or she left her house at 8.10 this morning, shortly before the police arrived. They've now got a forensic tent outside. Uh, they're combing through all sorts of things, computers, etc. Let's find out from Alan uh, what he's hearing. Alan, very good morning to you. Morning, how are you? Uh, very well indeed. Um, they, they said this day would come and, and here it is. And it's a pretty big day, isn't it? It's absolutely astonishing. And Scotland, as you know, has been a gog about this yeah. for months, weeks anyway. 
And at, at last, it, it looks like a murder scene. It looks like they're they're digging up Fred West's yeah. garden. Well, I, I keep, mean, I keep, a, I keep expecting, I keep expecting that man to turn up and say, "There's been a murder." <laughs> and you want me to say it just to remind you of the go old on, thing. go on. There's been a murder. <laughs> I mean, Taggart isn't. It wouldn't be a miss in this scene, would he? Well, the, the thing about this story is that there's been a stunning silence from the authorities. Yeah. The rumours have been swirling since I think January, and maybe even before that about a missing 600 grand. Right. But the, 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 the cops and the Crown Office, the prosecuting authorities, have said nothing. And basically that has just fueled the rumour mill mm. and it's got worse and worse and worse. And now people are saying this is the real reason Nicola Sturgeon resigned. Yes. Now, I'm not saying that. That's what people are saying. And this incident today is, is uh, encouraging people to think that way. Right. And not only is the police van and the police forensic unit outside and inside the Sturgeon household, there are four police vans currently parked outside the SNP headquarters. It's like a scene uh, from what was Ukraine before the war. Well, wait a minute, though. My office is next door to the SNP office in Edinburgh. <laughs> Maybe they're searching my office as well. Well, I presume, I presume you took everything with you, right? You didn't leave anything behind. I'm in my bag here. <laughs> but it is, I mean, it's an amazing... Um, Amazing day, not only for, for, for those people who were never quite sure about the SNP, but the SNP have obviously gone very quiet. I mean, I haven't heard anything from Hamza Youssef. Has he said anything yet? Well, if I, 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 he's got any sense, and he's, and he's not noted for a great deal of sense, you keep right out of this one. Right. This, is, this is, I think, this is something that the SNP hierarchy knew nothing about other than those two people at the centre, Mr and Mrs uh, Nicholas Sturgeon. Yes. And of course, what we do know um, is that the, the, the Sturgeon resignation came first. Then there was the kind of the jiggery pokery around how many me members they had. When Kate Forbes asked the question, how many people are going to vote in this leadership election? It then turned out there was about 40,000 people that had gone missing. Nobody's really sure who they are, where they are. Murray Foote then resigns, who was the, the head of their communications team. And then Morell himself resigned. Uh, well, it's just drip, 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 drip the whole time. I mean... But why couldn't we have a bit more um, explanation or at least some clarity mm. from the Scottish authorities? The police, Police Scotland and the Crown Office, the prosecution authority, they said nothing. Every question put to them was stonewalled and all it did was increase this speculation and actually increase the damage being done to the Scottish government, the, mm. government, the governance of Scotland. Yes. And it was only the other day the story plot took another weird twist when Nicola Sturgeon said that one of the reasons she resigned was because of all the rumours swirling around, one, that she was a lesbian, and two, uh, that she had had some kind of relationship with a French diplomat uh, who had a house in the middle of... Uh, um, the, 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 what was it? The, the, vale of, the Vale of Arran or something like that? There, there, there's been... Nicola has been at the centre of a rumour mill ever, virtually ever since she became First Minister. And I'm bound to say that I didn't believe any of those rumours. But now, <laughs> now, the more the rumours are... Well, you know what it's like in newspapers. Yeah, yeah. If, if there's a lot of rumours about and then you get a lot of denials, what do you do? You believe the rumours. Yes. And that's what people have been doing. Hmm. And I wonder now if Nicola issued the denials about the so-called relationships to stem that kind of rumour. But knowing... Perhaps, now I'm indulging in conspiracy theory now, knowing that this arrest was about to come. I have no idea of that. Well, I mean, she seemed to know it was coming because she scarped out of the house at 10 past eight and then the police turned up later. Well, 
Funny that. Well, I think I think I think you could imagine that uh, <laughs> the, the milkman didn't tell her to get out of the house. I think the cops might have. You think might have given her the, the, the nod. Listen, Alan, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Alan Cochran, former Scottish editor of The Telegraph. It's an extraordinary story. It just gets more and more extraordinary with every passing second. We'll bring you every single bit of it, of course, right here on Talk TV, the home uh, of common sense and the place to get the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth because you don't need to make anything up when it comes to the SNP. The truth is remarkable. This is Talk TV. Mike Graham fighting the good fight with all his might, providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid talk. I'll talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots to say. There's lots going on today. We've got the SNP under investigation. We've got an arrest uh, up in Scotland. We've got Peter Murrell, no less, uh, who is the former, uh, of course, um, CEO, Chief Executive Officer of the Scottish National Party. Also happens to be husband of one Nicola Sturgeon, the former First Minister of Scotland and previously seen as one of the most successful politicians that Britain has ever seen. She stepped down, if you remember, a few weeks ago uh, in a sort of bit of a hurry, a lot of people said, and suddenly now they've got a new leader in Scotland, Hamza Youssef, uh, who is the new First Minister, the new leader of the SNP, but all is not well, I'm afraid, because the police uh, have swooped upon the house of Nicola Sturgeon and Peter Murrell. Uh, there's a forensic tent sitting outside it. Uh, they're combing through all sorts of things inside it, uh, looking at computers. They've got a forensic team in there digitally examining all of the things in the house. They've also got a forensic digital team as well, uh, examining the headquarters of the Scottish National Party down near Holyrood. Uh, it's an extraordinary story. It's an extraordinarily fast-moving story. Uh, Peter Merrill has been arrested. We will bring you further news on that uh, as we go through the day and through the afternoon. Coming up, we'll be talking to Ingrid Seward uh, from Majesty Magazine, of course, in this hour. We'll be talking to her about Prince Harry and the fact that he may or may not be in trouble with the American authorities uh, after confessing in his book Spare to have taken loads and loads and loads of illegal drugs, which he might not have declared uh, when he applied to have a US visa for residency status in California. First up, though, we're going to talk about Donald Trump and what happened yesterday. Late yesterday afternoon, early evening in the UK, uh, of course, Donald Trump appeared in court in Manhattan. Uh, he appeared to be arraigned on several charges, 30-odd charges, uh, criminal charges indeed. He pleaded not guilty. He then flew back to Mar-a-Lago in Florida, uh, where, of course, he has a home, uh, which was raided by the FBI some months ago. We're going to talk to Adam Coleman from the New York Post in a moment. But first, let's have a look at what Donald Trump's reaction was. And I never thought anything like this could happen in America. Never thought it could happen. The only crime that I have committed is to fearlessly defend our nation from those who seek to destroy it. This fake case was brought only to interfere with the upcoming 2024 election, and it should be dropped immediately. Immediately. They attacked me with an onslaught of fraudulent investigations. Russia, Russia, Russia. Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. Impeachment hoax number one. Impeachment hoax number two. The illegal and unconstitutional raid on Mar-a-Lago right here. And this is where we are right now. I have a Trump-hating judge with a Trump-hating wife and family whose daughter worked for Kamala Harris, and now receives money from the Biden-Harris campaign, and a lot of it. Donald Trump, um, 
they don't make them like him anymore, really, do they? Adam Coleman uh, is with us. Adam, very good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I mean, a day of drama, high drama uh, in Manhattan, um, followed by an evening of, of um, Trump speaking. Some people say less time than normally he speaks, well, 25 minutes. But, you know, the old Trump very much still there. People said he looked a bit sort of um, uh, hangdog when he left the courthouse. But I didn't see that. Um, this is playing into his hands, it seems to me. But one of the overarching things, I was talking to some friends of mine in the States last night and they were all feeling a bit sad that this is what American politics has come to. Yeah, I mean, it is sad. Um, and to be completely honest with you, yesterday was one of the dumbest days in American history. <laughs> uh, it was dumb because the charges are dumb. It's dumb because people on both sides showed up into New York City to put on a spectacle, some sort of circus show. It's dumb that people think that Trump may actually go to, to jail. And, you know, that's just my opinion. Right. It's dumb to think that this doesn't benefit Trump whatsoever. He's raised millions since the uh, the indictment claims yeah. were coming. So, I mean, overall, it was dumb. It was just an absolutely stupid day yesterday, to be honest with you. And I just wish more people kind of woke up to see that there's more things that are going on behind the scenes. Is Trump right that these are bogus uh, claims, especially when... You know, the DA is having a press conference and he can't clearly explain mm. why these charges are happening. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of speculation. I think there's a there's a, a stretch here that I think the DA is making. But Trump is right. They dug to find some sort of claim yeah. to put some sort of charges on him. But it, at the end of the day, more than likely, Trump is just going to have a fine. Yeah. And all of this would just be a circus show. <laughs> right. of the highest order and even you know? and even if he, he does get that fine um it may never happen even at that point because i'm told that in order to overcome the statute of limitations which i believe is is eight years i think um mm -hmm. or six years maybe i mean uh, they have to prove some kind of federal crime has been committed and so far <laughs> they haven't been able to do that so it's not even clear whether these charges can even be brought Exactly. I mean, I didn't even think about the whole statute of limitation thing, but that's even even more of a reason why this whole entire situation is stupid. Um, and I really wish um, I really wish people on both sides kind of realize that none of this is good. Uh, none of this is good. And in respects to you shouldn't be going after political opponents. Mm. You shouldn't be making a political spectacle out of this, but also realize that, you know, Trump isn't an entire victim in, in this situation. He had a scummy lawyer. And he probably had some dealings with Stormy Daniels, probably things that you shouldn't be doing since you're a married man. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody will say, oh, that's speculation. But I'm just saying he knew her. He hung around her, you know. So, I mean, if you're if you're someone of his stature, you should be careful who you have around you. And repeatedly, even when he was in office, he had scummy people around him. Yeah. And that's one of his weaknesses, because as long as they suck up to him, he'll have them around. Yeah. Well, he still had Jason Miller with him yesterday, the guy who had to resign from the White House because he got involved in some scandal with some prostitutes. Um, and he <laughs> seems to be back on the team. That's it. I mean, his, his, circle, his circle is limited as far as people who will visibly be alongside him. Uh. Behind the scenes, there are a lot of people that support him. You know, and, and I think that's the illusion. They want, they want people to think that Trump is on an island by himself and has no support. It's just out in public, he, he has very little, little support. Right. But the donors, Republican donors, um, Republican supporters, big name people, they support him. Just they won't do it publicly. 
Yes. And I mean, I heard a lot of Republicans speaking last night to various different shows on talk TV saying that, you know, mm -hmm. Trump probably won't even get the nomination. There seems to be a sort of rump of Republicans who say that, you know, his time is gone. Uh, however, the longer this goes on, the more likely it is that his time hasn't gone. Yeah, th there's it, it's very interesting. There's a split going on. Um, even though Ron DeSantis hasn't declared yet, right. the split is a hypothetical competition between Ron DeSantis and, and Donald Trump. And what's very interesting to me is that about six months ago, every single Republican was saying how wonderful Ron DeSantis was. They all wanted to move to the state of Florida. And then as soon as Donald Trump called him Ron DeSanctimonious, right. all of a sudden he's, you know, part of the World Economic Forum. He's a rhino. He's this, he's right. that. And so, you know, now all of a sudden we have all the sycophants who are coming out of the woodwork mm. to go against Ron DeSantis, the man they praised and loved just before. But now all of a sudden, dear leader says otherwise. Right. Now they, they can't stand him. So there's definitely a split going on amongst Republicans. Um, a lot of it was fueled by Donald Trump uh, because he is fearful that Ron DeSantis is too popular and he wants to be the only man on the top of the hill. Yeah. And what about the Democrats? Because, you know, speaking to some of them, there are some who are very wary of this strategy to get Donald Trump to be the nominee so that they can mm -hmm. beat him because they believe that even Joe Biden would beat him. I'm not so sure that that's true, number one. But also, again, listening to some commentators last night, some were saying if it becomes a two horse race, anything's possible. You can't guarantee that Trump wouldn't win it. That's absolutely true. The way I kind of see it is that if Trump is the nominee on the Republican end, then I don't think he can win the general election. I think he's too polarizing. Yeah. Um, the, the in 2016 he was an outsider. Yeah. Uh, and people were willing to give him a chance because you know political establishment they saw that failed him. They were open. The moderates uh, went over to him. Uh, even some Bernie supporters went over to him. This time around he's no longer an outsider. He's the president for four years. Yeah. For the past couple of years he's been playing kingmaker. So it, it he has different circumstances. Uh, when it comes to this election. And I think people would be uh, foolish to think that he can he can run with it. I think the only way that Biden wouldn't win is if we have a severe economic downturn. Right. Uh, because, or you if know, Biden did something stupid, which is entirely possible. Yeah. I mean, you know, we played the tape uh, <laughs> earlier on this week of when he went to um, Rolling Fork, and I keep repeating it because he called it Rolling Stone, and then kind of stumbled around and wasn't sure what he was calling it and said that his brain wasn't working. You know, I mean, he could do something really bad and that would be the end of him and they wouldn't be able to find somebody else to, to replace him at that late stage. I mean, possibly. I mean, to be honest with you, Biden has done a lot of dumb things. Mm. But I think politics, when it comes down to voting, most of the time comes down to economics. Um, if Trump didn't have COVID, Trump would be the president today. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is COVID came, it affected the economics. And so... People are going to vote against it. Hmm. Uh, you know, people talk a big talk, but as soon as their money is affected, then they start voting in a particular yeah. way. And would you say that Trump's support base is smaller now as well than it was probably in 2016 and even in 2020? I would say it's smaller. I, I, I That's why I say he's too polarizing, hmm. because I've talked to many of two-time Trump voters who said they're done. Um, and that's not good. Right. And, and there is a hardened base that will never move. Uh, so it's it's fractured. Yeah. I think that's the best way of kind of putting it. But I mean, as far as these charges go, when you looked into them yesterday evening, uh, as I did, and you saw that one of the charges is that you paid off a doorman at Trump Tower $30,000 <laughs> because he was putting around a story to the National Enquirer that he had fathered a child outside of his marriage. 
It then turns out that they admit the story wasn't true. And you go, well, why are you including that in a, in a charge sheet? Um, <laughs> so you're basically saying you paid a guy off who didn't have a true story to tell. Why would he? That's what I'm saying. All of this is stupid. None of this, none of this sticks. Um, I think, oh, yesterday was one of the least proudest days to be an American, yeah, I think so. to be honest with you. I mean, I was ashamed <laughs> because I, I consider America as being my adopted sort of second home. You know, I lived there for 10 yeah. years. Um, my kids were born there. Some of them, my family still lives there. You know, I felt very sad about the whole thing. And, and the fact that they're now saying the next hearing is not until December. I mean, talk about dragging mm-hmm. it out. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, and unfortunately, I don't know why a district attorney's job would be to smear a former president um, and someone who's running for office again. I don't know why his objective would be to uh, try to make him look bad, try to drag out the situation as long as possible. Yeah. He shouldn't be politically motivated. No. Either he broke the law and you have enough evidence to charge him and prosecute him, or he didn't. Right. Um, and and it, none of this sits well i think if i think if there was some other sort of charge for someone who wasn't a public figure this would be handled much differently yeah but because it's trump and you know they want to make some sort of spectacle out of it and actually both both sides want to make a spectacle out of it trump would have loved it if he was in handcuffs yeah to be honest with you um all of this is just one big circus I mean, it was said last night by, I think, Alan Dershowitz, the lawyer, that this charge, none of these charges would ever be brought against anybody else. It's just because Mm -hmm. it's Donald Trump. I agree with that. I I see no reason to not agree with that. Right. And as far as um, what goes next, I mean, if it all falls apart, we have a thing in this country called malicious prosecution. If this all falls Mm -hmm. apart, I would be um, tempted, if I was Donald Trump or his lawyers, to go after um, Alvin Bragg and say you brought this action knowing that it would fail knowing that it was a, a, a kangaroo court knowing that it was going to be a black mark against the former president is practically treasonous well I, I and I'm not a lawyer so I don't know how malicious prosecution would work I don't know how um, the process like this it. I think <laughs> <laughs> well I mean I don't know um, the, the, the process to actually prove that there's malicious Mm. um, prosecution uh, at play. But listen, Trump is going to run with this. He will he will speak about this forever and ever about how he was prosecuted and he's going to raise lots of money because of it. I mean, the the malicious prosecution actually works in his favor in this case. Absolutely right. Well, they're they're proving his point. I mean, that's what they're doing. And they don't seem to know that that makes him stronger. Unbelievable. Adam, listen, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Adam Coleman there, a columnist in the New York Post and many, many other places besides. A couple of tweets for you. Um, Hannah says this. Return to Manchester for the first time in seven years. What a stark decline. Dealers and druggies, no police in Piccadilly, gangs cycling around a blacked out Bentley near Oldham Street, blatant yet no police to be seen. What is going on? Uh, Andy Burnham seems to be just like Sadiq Khan in London, an absolute terrible place. That's not the word she used, uh, but I can't say the word she did use. Uh, Marion says, hi, Mike. Just to say we had a prison barge in Portland Harbour in the days of Anne Widdicombe and there were no problems. Great idea to put the floatel there. We already have a prison on the top of Portland, so if they misbehave, they've got far to go. Well, I know that prison on the top of Portland, Bill. I've been up there, funnily enough. Good idea, though. Uh, maybe we'll get Anne Widdicombe on just to get her view of the floatel. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app.
If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.